Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. (laughs) That was mine. Fifty issues. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to another episode of Don't Give a Fifty, a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and don't give a fifty. We are not slowing down. We're not ready to put on the handbrake. In fact, we're thriving and we're living our best lives. Well, we say that. I sound <laughs> a bit like Catherine Chancellor today. Our fiftieth travel know who that is. I don't know who that oh, is. She's um, off the young and the restless. Oh, she sounded like she smoked a packet of Winnie Blue a day. I was kind of a Days well, maybe, of Our Lives girl. <laughs> maybe for the younger audience, we can reference to Marge's Simpson sisters. <laughs> I have a little chest thing, ladies. It's a non-COVID chest thing, so we're okay. Yes. Yeah, you poor poppet. No, Trish, we've got a review from one of our friends of the podcast. <laughs> Excellent. And these make us so happy. She says, I can't... Oh, sorry, it's from Ali. <laughs> it's from hey, our, um, our gorgeous friend, Ali, who's part of our 50 tribe and she says I can't tell you how much I enjoy this podcast it's the pick-me-up intelligent warm girlfriend talk that everyone needs while learning something at the same time Mel and Trish are insightful funny warm intelligent women who wow, dive, we've got you filled oh no, <laughs> who dive headfirst into all sorts of interesting topics that are truly fascinating it's also a laugh out loud funny I'm constantly stopping the recording to continue <laughs> laughing I feel like I'm sitting around with a glass of wine having a tin wag with two of my closest girlfriends. Thank you, Mel and Trish. The world is a much better, happier place with this podcast. Do yourself a favour and I'll count down reference, pun intended, and have a listen. Love, Ali. Oh, Ali, thank you. That has absolutely made this old bird's day. Yeah, I know. That's gorgeous. And Mm. thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And please, 50 Ishes, send in reviews. You can email us, DM us, however you like to do it. But it's kind of really important feedback for Trish and I as well, that we're on the right track. And it also helps us to with our reviews and ratings have an effect on our podcast numbers which helps us with sponsorship yeah exactly so thanks again ali So today we're recording our episode on Valentine's Day, Trish. We are. Happy Valentine's Day, man. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. Happy Galentine's Day, as they say. <laughs> happy Galentine's Day. A day that can evoke a range of emotions and reactions for people. So for some, it's a day to celebrate love and affection with their significant other, as we know. And some people are really romantic and do lots of lovely things. For others, it can be a source of pressure 
and stress because they're trying to find the perfect gift or plan the perfect date. And for some, it can be viewed with a bit of scepticism or as a bit of a commercial holiday. I mean, oh, we've I all must heard admit, that, haven't we? Yeah, I must admit, <laughs> I kind of fall into that uh, that category. And for some, in long term relationships, it can actually make you feel really alone. So, even if you're not in a relationship as well, it makes you feel really alone. One hundred percent. Yeah, mm. it does. Well, it kind of emphasizes that, doesn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. So, by the time our fifties tribe are listening to this episode, another Valentine's Day would have come and gone, and potentially with no significance or consequence. But regardless of how one feels about Valentine's Day, it can be a reminder of the importance of showing love and appreciation for those we care about, and it provides an opportunity to strengthen relationships and make new memories. Which I yes. Guess well, Gordon and I sent each other a very lovely text this morning. I think mine said, happy V-Day. And he went, yeah, happy V-Day to you too. Well, Mark went to work at four and I've had a conversation with him already on the phone driving down to Brisbane and we didn't even wish each other. <laughs> well, when God I left for work, we completely forgot. <laughs> totally forgot. Anyway, <laughs> but the whole Valentine's Day thing got us thinking about how we keep love alive because it's no secret that divorce is a real issue in midlife and we have had many conversations regarding how it isn't unusual in midlife for seemingly stable relationships to blow up. Yeah, a, a, lot, scary. a lot kind of blindside you. You don't see it coming at all. 100%. There's a variety of factors that no doubt contribute. So we know about the midlife crisis. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. The empty nest, the focus on establishing careers, growing and securing future nest eggs is eased. And without those distractions, people can realise that they've grown apart and for some potentially too far apart. So it brings on a period of introspection, self-discovery, a shift in priorities and values leading to a re-evaluation of relationships. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that can be a bit scary, I think, for some people. Mm -hmm. So we are so 15 excited to have the brilliant, world-renowned Dr. George Blair West back in the podcast studio with us. Well, not literally, it's online. Virtually. George is a medical doctor specialising in psychiatry and subspecialising in trauma and relationship and sex therapy. He's an author and presenter. His TED Talk on this very subject titled Three Ways to Build a Happy Marriage and Avoid Divorce has had over 3.2 million views worldwide. He and his wife Penny, a psychologist, have been married for over 33 years. We can't think of anyone more qualified to share his thoughts and give us advice. So we are super humbled to share his wisdom and experience with our 50-ish tribe, you lucky, lucky 50-ishers. Hello and welcome back, Dr. George Blair West. Hi, George. Welcome back. Yeah, look, it's a pleasure to be back. I'm I'm looking forward to this conversation. Mm, I think it's an important one. It is. Mel and I have had conversations around this last year yeah, as we well, yeah, quite we a have. few. We've just got this theory, George, that uh, midlife is a dangerous time for relationships. Would you agree? It, it's, it's more than a theory. Yes, we know that um, there's a peak in divorce around seven years into a marriage and another one around 14 years. And that 14-year mark is particularly interesting because that's midlife, right? Mm. And there's relationships seem to either go really well or really badly around that point. Because the other research factor that comes, research finding that comes from a completely different space is the idea that marriages become what we get married for around the 14-year mark. So that's how long it takes for a marriage to become what we got into the whole thing mm-hmm. to achieve. Yeah. And that's because of the fact, well, there's a number of factors, obviously, but but one of the big ones is that we're really getting to understand out how to be in a relationship, which none of us have any sort of education or training on, how to be in a relationship ourselves, how to bring the best us to being the best partner, or even a good enough partner is, 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 yeah. is, is, is a worth, worthwhile goal. And the other part of it is working out how to bring out the best in our partner, yep. how, to, how to be nurturing their personal growth in a way that they are feeling better in themselves as a person. And so it's, it's, it's about our own looking at ourselves and looking at how to really see our partner and bring them into where we want or where they want to be. And the other part of, of this is that so often I think people think because they live together, because they see each other every day, that that is intimacy, that that is being close. And the reality is all it is being is physically close. Yeah, so true. Flatmates. I have couples come in and even though they've been together for 10, 20 years, I can see that they're relating with no greater level of closeness and intimacy as two friends who just happen to be living under the one roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah business partners in the same bed. Yeah, 
And one of the things that I have to remind them of is that, if, that we have to nurture the love in a relationship because this is a different kind of love from the romantic love that got us into a relationship. And this transition is something that confuses a lot of people because the romantic love that takes us into the relationship, particularly during the honeymoon phase, the infatuation phase, has so much power. It carries both people with them. Yep. And they expect and hope that this enormous force, which is really designed just to get us to have sex and, 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 and create you know, an ongoing human species, we actually see it as something that will sustain a relationship long-term, and it just doesn't. Yep. It's designed to make babies, to get people to completely ignore their partner's shortcomings. I mean, yeah. in the honeymoon phase, <laughs> They're I, perfect. I, I had a patient the other day say to me, he had a, I won't go into his, his secret, but it was a fairly shameful secret. And I said to him, he said, you know, should I tell my partner now or later? And I said, look, you're pretty much in the honeymoon phase, aren't you now? And he said, yeah. And I said to him, look, I reckon in the honeymoon phase when it's under full power, you could tell your partner that you used to be an axe murderer <laughs> and your partner will go, yeah, I know, but that was then and I can see you're a much better person now. You've right? changed. Yeah. <laughs> Hormones are a very powerful thing. <laughs> and, and we completely, we, we just look at people through these, you know, these are rose-coloured glasses on steroids. Correct. Right? And the other side of that coin is I said you've got to tell your partner now about this stuff because A, will, they'll not only forgive you and see it as some endearing quality, but they will, if you don't tell them now and you they find out about it after the honeymoon's over, now the whole thing reverses and they're going to accuse you of withholding this from them and not letting them know who you really were and betraying them and so on. So you can see that we've got this very interesting process that happens early on, this amazingly powerful force, mm -hmm. which is you know the romantic love, the chemistry. But the research tells us that will not carry you through to a, a, a long-term successful relationship. So in essence, we, we have to replace that romantic love with a more of a, what I call true love, what we define as true love in the book, which is a very different kind of experience. There is a feeling to it, but it's not a particularly intense feeling. Mm. The, the feeling of true love is the feeling that goes with being fully accepted by your partner who knows you well enough to know all of your shortcomings. That's true intimacy. That's the feeling that I think if we are able to look at our partner, think about our relationship and feel really that this person, despite knowing all of my you know, shortcomings and, and you know, knowing me warts and all, they still actually really care for me and want to be with me. That is a really, really special feeling. Now, special is an overused word these days, but I can't think of a better word for it. Mm, mm. It's powerful as well, isn't it? But I wonder too, do you think that we have to lower our expectations then? Do you think that there, you know, when we are in that the honeymoon phase and in that romantic love phase and we're moving forward and we're sort of passing through it, we're starting to come out the other side, that's where we need to change our expectations because if we expect that that adrenaline, adrenaline rush like every time your partner walks through the door at the end of the day, then you're just going to constantly be disappointed. I know Goro once said to me, if you keep your expectations very low or have none at all, you'll get a lot of lovely surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So romantic. Good old Gordo. Look, you know, that, that, that was probably one of the wisest things that he could have done. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to keep me very grounded. <laughs> But, yeah, so, so to answer your question, Mel, it's not so much that you have to lower your expectations. You have to have accurate expectations Great. in terms of understanding the way relationships evolve. Yep. And that, that infatuation that goes with the honeymoon phase must come to an end. Yeah. And so we can't – and I've seen people who, when, when it came to an end, thought, I've fallen out of love. It's time to go start another relationship. And they could not be more wrong. That just, that just starts you on a path of a lot of short-term relationships. Mm. We have to understand how relationships evolve. And that evolution, if you understand it, makes sense of what we're talking about and is very reassuring when you know that, look, I think there are times in a long-term relationship where you can have those moments of intense you know, feelings of love for your partner when they do something special or they really see you in some way. But that's not, the, that's not what we're going to be relying upon or should be looking for as the true love that builds a long-term relationship. Mm, I, that true love is, as I said, built around acceptance. That's the first part. 
And the second part is around a commitment to nurturing your partner's personal growth as well as your own. And when, when a relationship is really humming, when it's going really, really well, you've got two people thinking about how can I grow myself to be a better person and how can I empathically connect with my partner, work out what their needs are and be there and support them in that. That's when the magic happens that builds something really special for the long term. That is a great point because I think that I could imagine in those difficult relationships when somebody is feeling, you know, kind of they're re-evaluating where they want to be in the relationship and the other person may be totally unaware of that at that point, then I think they can get very kind of self-orientated. It's kind of like they're almost kind of checking out. And then so it's like, well, you're not doing this for me, so why am I putting effort in for you? And I can just imagine that snowballs rather than thinking at it like the angle you were suggesting. Now, yeah, that's a very good point, Trish, because if you are connecting on a regular basis at an intimate level, that process can't begin. You can't have one person who is starting to put a foot out the door and the other person not know about it. It, the only way you can do that is to have a disconnect in the intimacy in the relationship. Mm, mm. And so one of the questions, this is kind of a question I get people who are doing well in couple work, in couple therapy. If they really want to get the, the, the gold stars to ask their partner, what can I do to be a better partner? Now, if you ask that question and you keep on asking it, not you know every couple of weeks, a couple of months, Okay. I mean, most people, I, I, most of my patients are a bit reluctant to ask that question. They think, oh, shit, what's going to come my way? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> <It's laughs> not open, <laughs> open Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and look, that's pretty, <laughs> I'm looking at the reactions on your faces there. And I can, that's pretty much the reaction I get from everybody. The idea is, ah. how can I be a better partner? <laughs> yeah, they might actually, actually ask you to do stuff that isn't something that you want to do. Yeah. And of course, it doesn't mean you have to do what they ask you to do. But the point is you want to know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. What they want you to do. Because a lot of it we can accommodate. Yeah. And and more importantly, if we can really genuinely make our partner's life better and build their sense of self and confidence, they are going to be so eternally grateful for that at a really deep level. You're really talking about building a, a an incredibly powerful foundation that sits under everything else that can then happen. Because one of the things we know about, and I know we touched on this in one of our earlier discussions about the research into modern arranged marriages. Yeah. They have much lower divorce rates. They do much better during conflict because they're not worried about the fact that feelings of romantic love do not coexist well, but, you know, next to times of mm. mundanity, times of conflict, times when life is being shitful. Our feelings of love for our partners get caught up in those problems yeah. and get dragged down with them. And people often feel they've fallen out of love. But what arranged marriages have to teach us, I don't suggest we go back to them, but the modern arranged marriages are very interesting because these are ones that are done where the couples have some input, they have power of veto, and it occurs in a divorce-ready culture. Most of this research comes out of California. And what they find is around five years, that their, their levels of love go from nothing to almost the same as a love marriage because their love is coming down. And at 10 years, the modern arranged marriage has much higher levels of love than do love marriages on average when you're looking at marital satisfaction scores. And both parties, men and women, rate them the same. There's no difference between the genders. And the fascinating part while we're on it is that having more involvement in, in partner selection did not improve Marital satisfaction scores are ah, 10 years. the statistics. Isn't that fascinating? It, it would seem that having somebody else, because these are arranged marriages with matchmakers and the mothers and the aunts all getting involved on both sides, yep. putting these two kids together. And it would appear that in these modern arranged marriages, I'm not talking about, you know, child marriages and forced marriages and people getting married to people that they don't like, but in these modern arranged marriages, they end up being happier when they had less involvement I know, actually, to be very precise, having more involvement made no difference to marital satisfaction. Wow. So that's got to get us thinking about what the hell is going on in these marriages. So when you study these marriages and look at how they build up over time, which is central to what we're talking about here, right, the number one thing that they found, they looked at about 34 different factors that were possible things that could build up in a relationship. Alcohol was the 35th. They took it off the list because alcohol did not, pr did not prove to help a relationship on average. Huh. That was just, that's a quick aside, you know. Interesting. That we'll 
focus on the other 34. <laughs> the number one was making sacrifices for your partner. Now, mm-hmm. think about that. Why is that so powerful, making sacrifices for your partner? And I thought you were asking Trish and I that question then, and I was about to say, question. well, George, I think it goes back to nurturing your partners. <laughs> well done, growth. Linda, well done. Yeah, no, you've been listening, which I'm, I'm very pleased about. No, <laughs> but no, sorry, well, I'm going to go a slightly different direction here because when we make a sacrifice, you know, we talk about love is as love does, love is a verb, all of these words that love is an action, right? When you make a sacrifice for somebody, you don't take the job because it would really severely impact in your ability to look after your partner and children maybe, or you don't you know, move the whole family interstate because you recognise that it's important for them to have connections. Sacrifices like this that are made on balance, I'm not saying you should give up something that's important. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where couples need to work together. Yeah. A simple one, for example, is stopping smoking for your partner. Mm-hmm. Often that's a, that's a better motivation for a lot of people than to do it for themselves. But when you do something like this, that is a sacrifice for your partner, it is putting love into action in the most powerful way because you're giving up something you want for the sake of your partner and the relationship. So that's what came in at number one. Now, obviously, we're not making sacrifices all the time, but it is worth just thinking about what that represents. It mm. represents a genuine, a genuine shift in the way you were going to do things for the benefit of somebody else other than yourself. The second on the list was commitment. And this one I've spoken about before, so I won't spend too much time on it. But again, the, what we know from the modern arranged marriages is they have this commitment to see it through the tough times. Mm. So when the conflict, the life stresses come along, whereas the love marriages are feeling that they're falling out of love because they're not feeling that love when their partner walks through the door at the end of the day. They've had a shitty day with the kids and partners stressed from work and you know, there's no connection happening you know, because of the shit that's going on, they feel like falling out of love. They feel there's something fundamentally wrong with their relationship. Whereas in an arranged marriage, they don't feel like falling out of love at all. There was no love to fall out of. (laughs) And the process of falling, you know, we use this term falling in love. I've always been fascinated by it because, you know, in the book we talk about how this is the biggest decision you can make in your life, but I realize people don't want to make it a decision. They want it to be a passive process. They want to fall in love. Falling involves gravity. You know, yeah. and all you got to do is lean forward and let go, right? Yeah, it's an action. <laughs> <laughs> it is an action, but it's a passive one. Right? Yeah. And deciding who's going to be a good partner for you, or when you're in a relationship, deciding how to make this relationship better doesn't feel very romantic. It doesn't, it's not passive. It's a very active process. Just so happens that when we study successful long term relationships, this is the common factor. That's that commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Going back just slightly, I find it fascinating that in the Western world, we sort of view arranged marriages quite negatively. I would say Absolutely. I'm generalising. Mm. And yet all the statistics and all your research, George, are proving Mm. Otherwise, aren't they? In the modern arranged marriage, as you said, not being signed up to someone like a 50-year-old man when you're three and all that sort of stuff Mm. that we've seen historically, like we're talking about where there is some input from mothers and grandmothers Mm. and aunties and and whatever. Well, importantly, in modern arranged marriages where there's some input from both partners. So they can veto it. If they say, I don't like him, it doesn't go ahead. That's the big difference here. That's why these, these relationships are very interesting to study because you're right. We have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. When I first started talking to people about arranged marriages and the research, they, they would sort of roll their eyes and, and want to move on because they said, well, that's, that's barbaric, basically. Mm. But we've got to remember, love marriages have only been around for about 200 years. Yeah. The first mm. recorded love marriage was in 1815 in Scotland, right? That is a blip in, in, in the history of marriage. So mm. true. But 95% of the time, marriages were arranged. They were. A lot and political. Not- you're right. And, and and not just for the powerful elite. No. Where it was, where it was political and it was about uh, it was about ongoing strategic power. Alliances and... Mm. Alliances. But even for the poor folks. 100%. At the other end of the spectrum, they got married so that they were in a relationship with somebody who would be complementary to them in the work that needed to be done. So the farmer would marry somebody who was good with making clothes out of the wool that his sheep would provide. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, yes. and, and so marriages were built. In fact, I, I took a deep dive on this, and it was interesting back in the, in the Middle Ages, if people thought you were too in love as a couple, the whole village would give you a hard time. There was one story about a man who was made to ride naked on a donkey backwards. Oh, my gosh. Because, 
because he was too in love with his wife. Right? <laughs> and and that, it was it was seen as a form of idolatry, right? <sighs> that you were caught up with loving this person, which t- took you away from mm. the business unit that you and your partner were head of because you've got children and relatives, your elderly parents, they're the ones you're supposed to be looking after. Yeah, yeah. it's work. It's, it's all about work, not fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So mm. couples who are madly in love were frowned upon. So, you know, obviously, again, we don't want to go that far, but that was the dominant model for 95% of recorded history. We're just at the we're at kindergarten level yeah. of understanding how relation, long-term relationships work. George, you mentioned that in the arranged marriage versus our love marriages that quite often it's kind of when conflict arises that trouble kind of starts to brew. So when conflict, I mean, obviously conflict is inevitable in relationships. Life is going to throw you curveballs and hard things to deal with. How important is conflict and how we manage that? in the relationships? Yeah. Uh, really good question, Trish. I think this is probably one of the big factors that we need to be talking about when we're talking about what we're talking about here today, you know, building love in long-term relationships and keeping them together. Too often, people see conflict as a negative. Mm. Yep. In fact, I would say most couples who come to see me, at least one, if not both of them, think that conflict is a problem. And that's usually because they negotiate their conflict really poorly. Yep. And conflict is a big negative. So one of the things I routinely do with couples that I work with is I firstly explain to them that conflict is not only inevitable, it's necessary because it will drive the growth of the relationship. Ah, yes. Where the relationship needs to go to grow will come out of looking at conflict. And couples who can't look at conflict end up not growing their relationships and growing on to be unhappy. I was fascinated. I, I, I've been talking about this for years, and I recently heard about a long-term study that was running in the U.S. They had about 300-odd couples. It ran for about five years. And at the beginning of the study, there were 12 couples who had no conflict. They came back five years, and guess how many of those 12 couples were still married? None. Mm-hmm. Correct answer, Trish. Oh, my gosh. It. None of them were. Now, that, that is testimony to this fact. Because what's happening here, if you don't have conflict, that means you've got two people who are not prepared to speak up about things they're unhappy about. Yep. Mm. Uh, So avoidant of conflict that they end up leaving the relationship and hoping that they'll get it right next time, which, of course, is going to end badly. I think, too, that conflict isn't easy for a lot of people, and I know that it's something that I'm getting a lot better at. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as I get older mm. because I think I think for some women too for our mother's generations they weren't as vocal as we are now mm. our generation mm. so it was kind of you know the the keep the peace generation so to speak not all of them but a lot mm. were mm. but I think that we've definitely you know the generations that are coming through now and and heaven help the next generation they're much you know they're much more vocal and in tune with their needs and expressing their needs and you know that earlier i spoke about the 14 years before marriage yeah. is what we would be mm-hmm. yep i think that what happens effectively over that time is that the couples work out they either they either stop fighting because they can't do it and the relationship stops growing or they work out how to fight respectfully in a way that is productive. Is there a trick to that? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, there is. Let's let's talk about some of those points. And one of the big ones, front and centre, is timing. So timing is all about if you've got an issue with your partner, when do you raise it? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story. My wife and I, we noticed this pattern of having conflict most Friday mornings. And we did this probably for a couple of years. This is how bright we are, psychologists and psychotherapists. (laughs) And then one at some point, I can't remember which one has bought this. I said, look, you know, we've got to stop having these fights on Friday mornings. Yep. And why do we have a Friday every Friday morning? Well, it's because I start work at 7.30 in the morning. And so I'm, you know, up around, you know, 6.30 and I've got to get ready out the door. I'm thinking about my day. And because she's not going to see me until later in, you know, that day, she wants to talk to me about problems that she wants answers on. Yep. And I am not there to talk about it. So I would be irritable and short with her as I'm focusing on getting out the door on time and she wouldn't be 
she wouldn't get what she wanted and that would escalate and it would just go badly. So we'd start out Friday mornings really badly. So guess what? Now we have a rule that we don't talk about any problem issues on a Friday morning. Yep. It just has to wait till later in the day. In fact, we said, look, if it's, if it's really urgent, just email me. And when I get to work in between patients, I'll, I'll check the email and I'll come back to you. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's great. But that was all about timing. Right? Yep, got mm-hmm. it. Because what people do is when they've got an issue in their head, they raise it with their partner when it's in their head. Yep. Not when their partner's most likely to receive it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about the worst times you could raise an issue. Yeah. In, in mornings when you're going out the door, getting kids off to school, not a good time to raise an issue. Correct. Yeah. Even in the evenings when somebody comes home from a stressful day and there's kids that have got to be looked after. And these days it could be the woman coming home from work and the guy who's been looking after mm-hmm. the kids. I have dear friends who that's their arrangement. And But that is not, when they walk through the door and you think, oh, I really want to sort this issue out, and you barrage them, it goes badly. Mm-hmm. So what I think, you know, we can speed up that 14 years if we – Think about when are we going to raise this issue with my partner? When's a good time for them? And then we add one further step. Yep. We gain permission for the discussion. Yep. We say to them, when is a good time for me to talk to you about this? Now, part of the problem is that people often want to get that over and done with. So if you say to your partner as soon as they walk through the door, when's a good time for me to talk to you about this? Sometimes they'll say, well, let's get out of the way now so I can relax for the rest of the evening. Not a good time to do it. Yeah. Mm. So you don't bring up when is a good time to talk about it until you think it is a good time to talk about it. And we all know our partners. We know when they're more relaxed in the course of their week. That's right. We know that you've got a better chance of having a discussion with them about an issue on Saturday afternoon or Sunday morning mm. than you have, you know, in those other times where... Shit. Friday morning at 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the number one thing I want to I give you listeners yep. is timing. We've got to resist the urge to talk about it when it's hot for us and bring it up when it's hot for other people. The next thing we've got to do is let the other person finish. This is so hard because in an argument, if we intrinsically we don't like letting people finish an argument that we think is good and is against where we want to go, right? Yep. So what we consciously or less consciously do is we dive in and stop them talking. We interrupt. We try and get our argument in so that we... Now, as human beings, we all hate that. We all think we have, and we do have an intrinsic right to be heard. The other thing that happens sometimes is people interrupt or don't let the other person finish because they think that even allowing them to say it means they have to agree with them. I actually get couples who are really struggling with this to paraphrase the other partner where they say, okay, what you're saying is that you were really frustrated when I kept you waiting for 20 minutes the other day because you had things to do and I should have called you on the phone earlier. Is that it, huh? That's paraphrasing. Yep. And and that's not agreeing. That's not saying, you know, I fucked up. Mm. That's just saying that, that's what your concern is, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people struggle with even that because they think that even to paraphrase it means that you're implicitly agreeing with it. So for most couples, I say, look, at least let the other person finish. Yeah. Because here's the cool part. Most of us, if we've been heard out, we intrinsically, I think, accept that we don't necessarily expect our partner to agree with us. And this applies to business and, and, and meetings. We intrinsically know that while we want to be heard and we want to be seen, that's an interesting idea, this one of being seen, what underpins a lot of what I'm talking about is the fact that as human beings, I think our number one desire is to be seen. It's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. By seen, I mean somebody really knowing who we are, why we're different from other people. What is our individuality? It's a very, very important thing. Right? And so being heard is about being seen. And then if you get to the end of it and your partner doesn't agree with you, that's okay. When I've watched couples do this, when they actually let the other person finish, once they've been heard, they things yeah. settle, they de-escalate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feels, feels if good. Inter- if you want to interrupt your partner on a regular basis, that will escalate things. Yep. And there's another point about escalation. Often one or both parties want to escalate something because they don't like the fact they're going to have to change in some way or think about changing because they may or may not. But... By escalating it, like two boxes in a ring, they can escalate it to a point, fight dirty, so the ref has to separate them and they go back to their corners. Mm. So couples blow things up so that they can't fight anymore. Somebody says something horrible, somebody storms off, and they go and lick their wounds and don't talk for three days, which is, which is a horrible, horrible outcome. But couples do it because they don't know how to fight well. They don't know how to stay in there and to let the other person speak. And that's the best basis for going to where we want to go next. And the final comment I want to make around this part of what we're talking about 
is the goal is not to get an apology or agreement. Just the to goal be heard. is to be heard. Mm, That's important, that. isn't it? Now we'll be back with more of George's brilliant wisdom in just a moment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So, George, in your TED Talk, you mentioned the importance of being influenceable. Yep. Can you enlighten us and our 50s tribe more on that? Yeah, look, the women in the audience are going to love this one. Um, <laughs> well, it did raise an eyebrow with Mel and I, yes. Yeah, it did. <laughs> because what we know is that if one person in a relationship is not particularly influenceable, when it comes to making important decisions that are going to impact the other person in the family, then the divorce rate is very high. It's one of Gottman's predictors of divorce that is very robust. The interesting point is that when they actually look by gender at which partner was more likely to be less influenceable, it was nearly always the male. That surprises so, me. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, <laughs> don't, 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 You don't need to belabor the point, okay? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> cheap shot, cheap shot, George, sorry. <laughs> the, the reality is, is that men are way more likely to not be influenced by their partner. So the converse of this is that if we blokes want to have happier relationships, a very simple thing to do, okay, it's simple to say, harder to do, is when you're up against making a decision and your partner disagrees with you, to slow right down, at least make sure, as we've just discussed, that you give them a good hearing. There is nothing worse than taking a decision without even hearing what your partner has to say about it. That is that is fast-track path to divorce land right there. But we want to hear what our partner has to say, and often that will give us a good basis for evaluating whether we're making a good decision. This is when a couple really come into their own, when we can hear what our partner's saying, what their concerns are, and really take that on board. And we've chosen our partners usually because they're different from us, and that fact that opposites attract means that we're more likely to have conflict at one level. We'd all at one level like to be in a relation with somebody who thinks the same way we do, but that would be a disaster. It'd be a disaster for our children. It'd be a disaster for making good decisions. We choose partners by, by and large because of their complementarity. And that means they're going to have a different view when it comes to making decisions. Mm. So the sort of big underlying principle I want to finish up that point with is that we've got to remember that we chose our partners because they will think differently. So when they think differently, we've got to listen carefully to what they say. Yes, that does make and sense. If we're, not going to take, if we're not going to take on board their input, then we're kind of in many ways negating the relationship. That's why I think it's such a big issue because if I'm not interested in what my wife has to say, then the whole basis of our relationship is fundamentally broken. Yeah. George, that's great and I love that answer. If in the event that our husbands were listening to this, that would be great. But if if we're if not, got, if, if we're, we're in a relationship, people. of course asking for a friend and one of the partners is less influenceable than the other and it's not you, yep. how do you best proceed? So how do you get that person to listen? Great question. So the, the underlying principle of what you're going to do next is you're going to talk about process rather than content. You need to have a discussion with your partner around the fact that they don't appear to be very willing to listen to your point of view. Mm -hmm. And if you say to them, look, I don't expect you to agree with me, but I do expect you to listen to me mm. because I might have something to offer. Mm. So you're having a discussion around the process of the way in which you two interact 
not around the content, but whatever mm, the argument yeah. is relevant to this discussion, right? And you're saying to your partner, look, I think it's really important for us to, if we're going to really make the most of our relationship, we're going to grow old together yep. to actually look at the way in which we make important decisions because I haven't been happy about this. And this is one of those situations where, and this is going to be more likely the woman because of the data that I've just shared, mm. the women just say one day I'm out of here yeah. and the guys mm-hmm. come and see me and they go, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Mm. And to be fair to the guys, the women didn't have this conversation with them probably yeah. more than once. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Because I, and people don't like it when I say this, but, you know, it, it's true. You should only stay in a relationship for as long as the relationship is healthy. It's only, it's only a good relationship if you're prepared to leave it. You see, if you're not prepared to leave a relationship, then you've got to put up with whatever shit's coming your way. Mm-hmm. So this conversation is one of those really big ones in a relationship. We're talking about something that can make or break a relationship. And so you might be saying to your partner, look, I want to talk about the way in which make, we make decisions and the fact that I don't feel that you hear me. Yeah. And if you, if you don't think you can do that any differently, if you're going to go through life just making decisions for yourself, then I'm going to really seriously think about whether this relationship will work for me long term. And that's the point where the rubber hits the road. You don't say that as a light threat. Mm-hmm. You've got to think about that. Right? Yep. But I think, again, going back to the generations that are getting married now, the generations, you know, the, the, the millennials and, and the Gen Xs and, of course, I'm a late baby boomer. These historically, the, the baby boomers in the generation before them, which are interesting, interestingly called the silent generation. Oh, the seriously? The, the what? The, the, the silent generation. Silent, yeah. 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 Because, because we know nothing of them. They didn't. They, they had no social voice, the men and women. Correct. You know, in, in, the, in the pre-war period, right? Yeah. yeah. They just p- pretty much did what the government told them and there was no media to, to get their views out anyway. So, yeah. But the point, the point is that in... In our world where people, particularly women, have a voice and should have a voice, then you need to have this discussion around really big issues where if this doesn't change, I'm not threatening, I'm just saying this is what I need to be in a good relationship, to be in a relationship. This is is the bar, this is the threshold above which it needs to operate at for me to stay. And that is a hard conversation. But if you don't have a partner who's influenceable and they make big decisions like, selling your house, moving you, even buying and selling your car without consulting you, you know, decisions around children. You know, I've seen terrible decisions made where one partner says, okay, well, that child is dead to me, you know. Mm. And that, that's not something that should be happening unilaterally. And the impact of that going unchecked in a relationship long term is devastating. Mm. So it brings us back to we're talking here about one of the underpinnings of, of a healthy relationship and the principle I think that really stands out for what we're talking about now is then couples need to spend time talking about the way in which they argue. Like another one I'll quickly, because I know we're getting close on time, but one of the other issues I'll quickly argue or suggest is that couples should never call each other names in an argument. That, that is the one time I say you mm. should apologise. The argument needs to stop and say, look, I'm not continuing this unless you take that back. If people use a light label, if they if they swear at you, that is just not on because mm-hmm, that's yep. escalating escalate the conflict yeah yeah so labels swearing that has to stop and that brings us to the final point that i think we will have to finish up on which is time out couples have to have time out when they get when it gets too intense Mm -hmm. on a voluntary basis because once our pulse rate gets over 105 it's called flooding we switch off our prefrontal cortex now guess which part of our brain we need to win an argument with (laughs) our prefrontal frontal cortex and I guess that's, that's where the saying, you know, when emotions are high, intelligence is low. That's obviously where that comes from. Absolutely. Mm. I'm just giving you the, the neuro the neuroanatomy that sits behind it. A mm. prefrontal cortex, which is the front of our brain here, which is it's where we make all of our, our judgment calls, all of our decisions. When we get flooded, when we get when, when conflict escalates, we get a heart rate over 105, and that's been measured again by our friend Gottman. What happens is we stop running blood to our prefrontal cortex, we run it back to our lizard brain. So we switch from the cleverest part of our brain to the stupidest part of that brain. <laughs> Interesting. And, and, is that and what happens all... after a few wines as well, George? Is that what goes on? <laughs> if there's a few wines involved, you're probably already starting. From your <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So one, a good point, though, Trish, one of the simple rules I have with couples is you never argue while you've been drinking. Yeah, yeah. right, you yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Say, this has to be held over until tomorrow morning. Yeah. And if one person wants to raise it, 
I think we'd, we'd, we'd cut a lot of domestic violence if we just had that simple rule, no arguing while drinking, we'll, yeah. we'll revisit this tomorrow. Yeah, and it goes, circles back to what you were saying earlier about when you're dealing with conflict is making that time to do it when the timing's right, making that appointment right. to do it when you're both yeah. in the right mind frame and you can focus on it without being distracted. Yeah, the worst times are Friday morning or Friday night <laughs> after we've both been drinking. <laughs> Point Fr- taken. Fridays, Fridays are not a good day for having fun. No, 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 it's not. No. Let's, yeah, let's As we've learned. Make that, that Friday is a, a no-go zone for conflict yeah, in yeah, relationships. Yeah, good point. George, mm. you mentioned that we are running out of time, which sadly we are, but you also mentioned earlier something about vulnerability, which you thought that we should just touch on in this chat this morning. Yeah, so people talk about how communication is important in a relationship. I don't think so. I, I've treated lots of couples where, you know, both partners are very articulate. Like one was a lawyer and the other one was a PR consultant. You know, you couldn't you couldn't get two better communicators <laughs> on the planet. But what they were using their communication skills for was to talk around the real issues, to dodge stuff. Now, if you're gonna be if you're gonna really share with your partner where you are at, what your big concerns are, what your future desires are, I mean it is being vulnerable when we talk about what we'd like to do down the track, what our what our, our heart's desire is, because people can use this to hurt you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke before about how we escalate things to create safety by having to get the ref to send us back to our corners. Well, conversely, when we get good at conflict and we have more intimacy, that is potentially more dangerous, which is why we don't want to go there. And what makes it dangerous? Vulnerability. But that's also what makes a relationship intimate. So here's the paradox, right? Mm. If we want to have a relationship, we've got to make ourselves vulnerable, which is dangerous. That is a paradox. Yeah. And, of course, the ultimate safety that we get is when we've done that, and this goes back to my definition of true love, of course, when we have made ourselves vulnerable and our partner respects that, doesn't throw it back in our face in a fight, Mm. and then does something to help us with that whatever that point of vulnerability is. Yeah. Mm. That's when you're building a really cool relationship. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so true. And I think that that is the thing, you know, when you look at, I think when we discussed in the podcast with you and your gorgeous daughter, Jiveny, when you're looking at finding a partner, quite often, you know, people talk about the attraction and the looks and the sense of humour and all of those things. But I think as you get older, it's those sort of qualities that you know people that are going to show up for you be there in the hard times and respect your vulnerabilities and nurture you yeah that's the stuff that's really attractive thank you for looping back to this because you've just raised the whole point of why we wrote the book which is that you can see this stuff while you're dating you can see how your partner's going to show up when there's a problem as long as you let the relationship go long enough. Yeah. A research point that I don't think I've shared with you because I prepared it for my second, I came across it for my second TED talk that I just did recently, which hasn't come out yet, by the way, but should be out soon on video, is that if you get married in less than 12 months or you propose in less than 12 months because the data was built around proposing versus one to two years, one to two years you have a 31% lower rate of divorce I'm sorry, 21% lower rate of divorce. And if you wait three or more years before the proposal, divorce rate is 48% less. Mm. And what we're just simply doing by allowing this time is we're getting to know our partner after the honeymoon phase. Honeymoon phases last, you know, six to 18 months. The, the best way to end a honeymoon phase is move in together. That will that will bring us <laughs> bring it bring it to a close yeah. real quick, mm-hmm. and then you can move on to the next phase, which is interestingly called the power struggle, which is mm. where people kind of both sit back now to enjoy the results of their hard work that got them to this. How long does the power struggle last for? <laughs> is it kind of like menopause? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? <laughs> I'm thinking um, not. I'm thinking the power struggle potentially, depending on the couples, could last for a long time. It does It does last a long time. It, it, we just loop back, haven't we, to yeah. mm-hmm. what you're going to do over the next 14 years to actually make a marriage what it's meant to be. And the point about all of this, I know at it, 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 one level this can sound negative or discouraging, but actually it often when people hear this, they can go, oh, actually, you know, my relationship is pretty normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, I've got, I'm not 14 years in yet, so I've got, I'm only 13 and a half years in yet. I've got 18 months to fix this. And now they, you know, if you understand these things, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, actually, I did the maths wrong then, didn't I? 
13 well, and a half. Mel and I didn't even pick oh, it up. <laughs> maths is not our strength, George. You could say anything when it We'd comes to We'd just go, math. uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting here nodding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. You have smart people in your audience when it comes yes. to Yes. <laughs> yeah, they are. That, that still surprises me as well. <laughs> anyway, we don't give a 50 about things no, like that. Small, <laughs> small things like that. George, is there anything else? We've covered so many bases, which I think has given a lot of food for thought, thinking better the devil you know. Who wants to go through that process all over again? Let's work with what we've got and what we've Absolutely. got is pretty good. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think is of the utmost importance in that happy, successful marriage dynamic? Conflict management is complex and we've touched on some of the principles of it. But interestingly, there is good research that shows that if you focus on building up the positives in the relationship, that creates an emotional bank account that can then cope with the conflict that may not go very well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So building that emotional bank account by what we've already spoken about, looking at growing yourself, nurturing your partner, working out what they need, that's incredibly powerful, making sacrifices for them if that's necessary or appropriate, and just looking at having fun with them. Mm. The, the, and, and and making time for having fun. I, I really encourage couples to have date nights where they go out. It doesn't have to be anywhere fancy. We've spoken about this. Yep. But one of the things I say to do on date nights is to plan to have fun outside of mm. date nights, right? So yeah. weekends are one of holidays. You know, couples who do more of this stuff, which is a lot easier to do than manage conflict well. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of couples I think there's a lot of couples out there who have significant conflict at times, but it doesn't threaten the relationship because there's a lot of the positive stuff happening that outweighs it. Mm. And there's a good research around that being the case. So mm. what we want to learn to fight well and with respect and to not call names and you know everything we've spoken about, yep. in some ways a simpler and certainly more fun thing to do is to engineer having more fun with our partner. Mm. And mm. when you have kids, that takes extra effort. It takes more more energy because it seems very reasonable, you know, because kids come along at the same time we're building careers. So it seems very simple and reasonable to focus on the careers and look after the kids. And the biggest cost of that is the relationship. So let's make sure we're focusing on that. George, where you talk about that love bank, I love in one of Brene Brown's books, she talks, she's trying to teach her children about that with their relationships with their friends. And she uses the analogy like it's a jar of jelly beans and every kind act is another jelly bean in the jar. So then if your jar's full of jelly beans, it doesn't matter if somebody takes a couple out every now and again because you've still got enough. It's when that jar gets empty that there's issues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Big issues. Exactly. When the jar's running on empty, you're in trouble. Yeah. Because you can't. You don't have enough what we call technically containment to hold the relationship together through the shitty times. And so what we're doing when we're you know, having fun together, when we're listening to each other, seeing the other person, hearing their, their, their vulnerabilities, keeping them safe when they share their vulnerabilities with us, that's all building containment from which we can cope with conflict and issues much better when it comes along. Mm. Great advice. Yeah, amazing advice. George, it's actually time for our wrap-up question which is really difficult with you, but we're going to ask it anyway. If you could time travel, what would be the key relationship advice you would go back and give your 20-year-old self? What was George the 20-year-old up to? <laughs> yeah, would have been interesting uh, meeting you at a bar back in those days. <laughs> I, I, I was a medical student and a DJ in a nightclub. <laughs> That's a great combo. I love that. <laughs> That doesn't spell mischief at all, George. No, I bet you weren't thinking about conflict management and things like that. It's having way too much fun. I, I actually, because I didn't get, I didn't propose, I actually proposed, by the way, on Valentine's Day today. Oh, lovely. What kind of happy anniversary-ish for your proposal? It's actually, yeah, because you try and work out what it is, right? It's actually decision day, right? Yeah, right. Okay. It was the day that I proposed that my wife, she made the decision, I guess. Well, we both made decisions, of course. And I was 27. We got married a couple of years later. And all of the data shows that we were just actually pretty lucky mm-hmm. because we, the, if, you, if you meet in your early 20s and you really think this is the one for you, which as we've discussed before, is a very dangerous concept anyway, yep. you're in real trouble. So 
a kind of, in terms of relationship advice that I'd give myself when I was 20, I'd pretty much say, do what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Enjoy yourself while you're young, George. <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah. because this is something you don't want to do until you're over 25. Because we were talking about the prefrontal cortex before. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't kick in. It isn't fully matured and functional until you're 25. Yes. Yeah. And that car insurance companies know that. That's why insurance premium drops dramatically once you're 25. Mm-hmm. They yes. knew that when neuroscientists did. Mm. We thought that the brain matured when you were 18. No, it's 25. Mm. Particularly this part about making good long-term impact, you know, mm. having a sense of what the long-term impact of a decision is, right? So you've got to be 25. And the other reason why you want to be older is because we're also maturing our personality and our values. And having an alignment of values and relationship vision is important. So I kind of pretty much accidentally got it right in terms of relationships. I mean, I had, you know, some pretty you know, tumultuous and, and relationships that went badly, but that was important. Thank goodness. To work, yeah, to work out what I wanted in a relationship. Yeah. And I, I discussed this with Jiminy when she was about 21, 22, and she said, Dad, what if I meet the one? And this was back before we'd, of course, even dealt with that issue and, and, and thought about it. And I said, well, that's going to be bad news because you don't want to marry them. Mm-hmm. What I suggest you do is have a, you know, a, have a relationship with them for a couple of years and then say, and I know this sounds like you know, most people couldn't do it, but it's what we should do. Mm. After a couple of years, move on. And if, if you come back, which I have seen couples do, mm-hmm. you come back five years later when you're both available, then go and get married. But don't do it when you're 22, when you haven't got a prefrontal cortex. <laughs> do, do it. So do, your do advice it. in short would be, George, just have fun until you're 25 and your pre- and my prefrontal <laughs> cortex kicks is, in. <laughs> is functioning at an adequate level. Very sound advice. <laughs> That's awesome. You girls, you girls are all over this neuroanatomy. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Yeah. Listen to us go. We're all over it. It's just the pronunciation that I said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, then we just call it the PFC. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, we like that. We like that. George, you're a legend and we can't thank you enough for generously sharing your time and your wisdom with us. So we feel super privileged and we know that our 50ish tribe will love your thoughts and your wisdom and this chat. And for our 50ish tribe, we will put all of the links in our show notes and on our socials of where you can find George and Mm. also where you can purchase his books Um, and get some more of his brilliant wisdom. And listen to the TED Talk. And, George, when will the new one be available? Yeah, I'll let you guys know. It's being edited now. I gave it in December, and I think it's due out March-ish, so it'll, um, it'll right. let you know. Okay, Maybe cool. we'll Thank hit you. you up for a live version on the Don't Give a 50 podcast. <laughs> you getting sick of us yet? <laughs> no, no. I love you, girls. Oh, Oh, we love love you. you Bloody awesome. So that's it from us today. Don't forget you can follow us on Instagram at don'tgiver50 and email us at hello at don'tgiver50.com.au. If you have a suggestion for a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you would like to put yourself or someone you know forward to be a guest, just go to our website, www.don'tgiver50.com.au. And while you're there, sign up to be part of our 50-ish tribe. Also, and very importantly, if you've got a moment, leave us a rating and a review. We love those. We love them. We really do. Not because we're egomaniacs, because it helps with our podcast. It does. Remember, gorgeous 50-ishers, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we're all 50 and awesome, regardless of age, and living and ageing is an absolute privilege, and just being awesome is our right. Absolutely. Happy Valentine's Day, girls. Power struggle last for. <laughs> Is it kind of like menopause? <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.